Welcome to ID Hub Talks. In this podcast, we're reporting from ECMID 2017 in Vienna, Austria. We're speaking to Joop Arends from the University Medical Centre Utrecht in the Netherlands, who shared his expertise at the conference in viral hepatitis. First, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your career to date? Um, I'm Joop Arends and I'm an infectious disease physician from Utrecht, the Netherlands. And I've been uh, working in the field of hepatitis, viral hepatitis and HIV for the past seven or eight years. Uh, I did a PhD in virology, immunology of hepatitis C actually, and did uh, national international studies on hep C, hep B, and now gradually transferring my translational research to HIV. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, could you give us an overview of some of the research you're presenting here at ECMID? Well, I'm not really presenting any research uh, for myself, for my own group. Um, I'm doing a media expert session on viral resistance yes. with a colleague of mine, uh, uh, William Irving from uh, Nottingham. And we are doing basically uh, base case scenarios, uh, looking at viral resistance occurring through treatment with DAs and then how to manage those uh, for the future. Mm. What are the next steps, do you think, for tackling viral hepatitis, diagnosis and management on the front line of care? Uh, well, there are three different subjects, diagnosis, management and, uh, and the future. The easiest thing is, well, diagnosis, there's not a whole lot, I think, changing in diagnosis. Uh, diagnostics, although the, the only major part, interesting part, will be screening and diagnosing patients, I mean. So, with elimination on the horizon, at least for the majority of European countries now, I think uh, our focus should be turned to uh, diagnosing patients, and that's uh, the, the most difficult part. Uh, patients who do not realize they have hepatitis uh, transmitted in the past, uh, they will obviously not see themselves as patients or know that they are a patient and then not, not come forward for treatment. Um, so what we are doing in my own hospital, we call it uh, the REACH project, uh, where we look at the databases where patients once have been screened for hepatitis in the past, but have been lost to follow-up or not have been follow-up uh, uh, one, uh, one time, and then reach out to them and get them back to the hospital uh, to get them treated, so that's one. Uh, the other initiatives should be like a government screening programs or like, for example, in the USA where they screen the birth, baby birth cohort, for yeah. example. Well, that's specifically in high prevalence countries. Uh, for my country, that would not be cost effective. So we do this retrieval kind of projects um, uh, in my region. It's called the REACH, uh, and other regions are following as well. Um, and for other countries, probably they will try to follow the same approach. Although you see uh, there are older studies, uh, for example, where you see there's a major difference between the amount of screened patients at risk in the country. For example, France has a very high rate, so they have already screened a lot of patients, but there are also countries who have done very poorly. Uh, so they really have to make an effort in, uh, in screening. Then the, the other major hurdle will be uh, overall access for everybody, unrestricted access to all patient groups. Um, in the Netherlands already we had a, 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 a very nice environment for the past nearly two years. Uh, so we are uh, available to treat everybody. Uh, we published those data at Croy, uh, showing that for the co-infected patients, where we have a nice database, we treated 70% of all our patients. And we, we are retrieving or trying to see who are the, the, the left 30. Is it a database problem or is it real patients? And then we should also start treating those. Um, and you see the same movement now uh, going 
going across Europe, so France unrestricted, Germany is unrestricted with some limitations. The Swiss have done a really good job and also uh, retrieval uh, all their patients. So you see across Europe now other countries also following the unrestricted DA uh, thing. And then regarding the future, I sometimes joke that in my country in three years' time we have eliminated or eradicated hepatitis C, just like we did with cholera in 18-something. So by 2020 probably we have eliminated hepatitis C in the Netherlands. Uh, but then again, we are a small uh, uh, number of patients uh, in, in the Netherlands and it's not comparable to uh, Italy or France or Spain. Yeah. Um, but elimination is on the horizon. I yeah. was just in a meeting where they came, uh, there were uh, some participants coming from ESOL uh, this weekend and it was all over ESOL. There was talk about elimination, elimination everywhere. So we are getting there. And if you see, uh, there was a presentation by... Uh, I think Professor Amara also from uh, from Egypt. She showed the data from Egypt and, and Georgia. And there was another presentation by the WHO afterwards. Yeah. And they showed the number of patients over the past two or three years who were put on DAA therapy, and it's incredible. I mean, we have a lot to go, but uh, yeah. also did a lot of uh, treatment already in the past two years with yeah. DAA. So um, I think we'll get it. We'll get there at some point. I'm absolutely convinced. <laughs> at this point, we will not reach elimination of hepatitis. There will always be ongoing transmission, yeah. um, but the huge numbers we have now, and especially the complications of these huge numbers with cirrhosis and transplantation, you already see that going down as well. Um, that will be uh, that will be uh, probably in majority wise uh, uh, wiped from the face of the earth. Mm. But we will not eliminate hepatitis C as we did for polio or no. the plague, or for example. That's too far. Then we need vaccination, and yeah. there will be, I don't think, any effort in vaccination now with these successful DAs, no company is going to invest in a, no, in a yeah. vaccine. So. Yeah. How important do you think translational research is to your field? Um, so taking research from the bench to the bedside? Um, yeah, that's a good question. You could take two approaches. It, it, it's becoming very popular, mm. um, and uh, I think it's, it's good that our is translational research. Uh, it's important that there are people who can, who are the link between clinic and, and basic research, but not all should be translational because mm. clinic basic research really ser deserves a role and is really at the frontier of, of thinking of new uh, advances and, and things. And if they always constantly have to think, oh, is it clinically relevant and we should have a link to clinic, then they might, their research might be hampered or going in a different direction. So it should also be good that they, they that some basic researchers can be unrestricted by any barrier and just do what they think their hypothesis is, is, is telling them. Um, but then it, that shouldn't be the whole story, otherwise uh, research just purely for research is good for a part of it but not, not the whole thing. Uh, and, and on the other hand, only clinical research is also too super, uh, superficial, I think. It, uh, it, it needs to be driven by some basic science hypothesis. Yeah. Just all cohort studies looking for predictors that will not advance our, uh, our knowledge of, of medicine. So it should be translational, but it should it should be a part, but not whole. And yeah. it should be on the outside should still be their own basic research and pure clinical should be there. Yeah. And there should be a major part doing both. Great, thank you. How has the field changed over the time that you've been involved with it? Uh, well, for, my, for me personal, it has changed in that I'm, I, 
being a, a pure researcher or a translational researcher with a lab mm. is, is more and more difficult mm. because the, the advances, the, the, the speed of, of advance in the whole molecular diagnostic field, the whole immunology field is so quick yeah. that uh, combining that with a full clinic um, uh, that, that is getting more and more difficult. But the field has changed and will change. If, if you see the, there was a very nice presentation by Ling and Lin Enquist uh, yesterday and by William Irving. Mm. Um, and they both discussed um, next generation sequencing, deep sea sequencing, and how that will transform virology over the next decade or so. Yeah. I mean, that's mind-blowing stuff. And, yeah. and then that field is so quickly uh, transforming that for a clinician or a translational that is really difficult to give up. Mm. So that field has changed and, and obviously affected my my day-to-day -day job. Yeah. Um, for hepatitis, obviously, it has changed because when I did my PhD, we still had 40% uh, SVR and we treated patients for a year and uh, I sometimes talk to my my older HIV colleagues who then dig up stories from the old HIV era where obviously it's not really comparable but uh, the, the, there is a parallel in the sense that the way it changed very quickly when the heart was introduced from a deadly disease to a relatively chronic disease, yeah. we see a sort of similar change, although not so dramatic patient-wise, mm. but the speed of change is, is similar to what they have noticed with hepatitis C from a, a relatively difficult to treat disease in a couple of years to a disease where we are talking about elimination. Mm. So in that sense, I'm very happy uh, that, that I've experienced that from, mm. from the forefront, being a researcher and, and looking at it and all the trials and being able to treat my patients with the DAs now and, and observing that whole shift in, mm. in treatment. So that's a, that's a real nice Yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> Finally, um, what's your highlight of ECMID been so far? Well, I, I was on the program committee this year, uh, yeah. or the last three years, but this year, so I'm a little bit biased uh, <laughs> because I know the program. So I had my, uh, my 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 things which I already wanted to know, wanted to see, and I think the the, the session I mentioned about uh, viral cure yesterday mm. by Lynn Enquist and Will Irving was very nice, mm. and also uh, there was HIV cure by uh, Anna Marie Bensing and Ola Lundgaard. Mm. Um, that was a very nice session. I think it was really uh, well built up and. and really knowledgeable. Um, there was a very nice session this morning. Uh, I really wanted to uh, check out Kara Weimisha. She's a Dutch woman uh, speaking about the second genome and she mentioned the microbiome in relation to human genome and how our microbiome influences our uh, well-being actually or our disease. Uh, that was really mind-blowing. Yeah. Uh, that was a favorite. <laughs> and, in, and actually because I'm, uh, I'm involved in SMIT and the study groups, I had to do some other meetings, so uh, there was no, no time <laughs> to follow all the other symposia. No, well. there is so much um, going on as yeah, well, it's, it's, it's impossible to see it all. Conference. Yeah, yeah. And of course absolutely. tomorrow my own session will be, yeah. will be very nice. <laughs> of course. Thank you for listening to this ID Hub Talks podcast from Infectious Diseases Hub. You can find more podcasts as well as news, interviews and opinion pieces at www.idhub.com.